0: Welcome to Grace and Peace. We're glad you're joining us, the online portion of what we do. We want to connect as much as possible. And so we see what we do here digitally online, whether it's the podcast or on YouTube or even on our Uh, Instagram or Facebook account. Uh, We see those as a portion of who we are to supplement our discipleship to Jesus, but we don't see it as the whole, And so we just want to make you mindful that we see discipleship to Jesus as uh, a holistic way of approaching our faith and uh, we believe that we need to be gathering together, we need to be worshiping together, serving and encouraging one another and so uh, don't let this be the only part of your faith. I pray that uh, you would connect with us uh, in person and not in a selfish way, but in a way that Jesus calls us to in obedience to growth, and that's how we begin to be the body of Christ. And so, um, be sure to subscribe. Uh, That not only allows this content to show up for you easily, but also for others, so that others can engage and experience it. And while we're talking about others, I want to encourage you that if this has been something that's been valuable to you and your family, uh, to you and your faith, uh, to you and your journey with Jesus, then I would encourage you to give towards what it takes to produce all this and to make it happen and to make it available and to be on mission with us and uh, you can do that through the website at graceandpeacechurch.org and um, if you have any questions, we just encourage you just to reach out to us and, uh, and we're available on all those platforms and would love to chat with you, but um, welcome to Grace and Peace and uh, let's dig into our, our worship and our study as we journey into the book of James. These lights that we have on our backdrop have been with us since the beginning of Grace and Peace Church. We have them for two reasons. So first off, we had them on our stage because we met in a warehouse where the lighting was pretty bad and we needed lighting for our stage people to see what's going on. And we wanted a budget way to do it because we didn't want to spend a fortune on a big rack of lighting that would have cost thousands of dollars that we could put into other things that we felt like were more important. And so we went with these homemade lights that have a wood stand that we just made in our garage and uh, they serve their purpose. And the second reason that we have these lights is because we want a constant reminder that we are called to be a light in the community that we live in. The passage that we're going to read here in James today talks about how these lights, they're not significant, they're not useful, they're not living into their purpose until light comes into them. And so he talks about faith and deeds. So we're gonna get into this passage where we're going through this letter that James writes to the early believers, the early community of people who are following Jesus and learning to follow Jesus and commit life fully to Jesus. And so he writes in this paragraph or this little portion of scripture that we're going to read today in this letter uh, about faith and deeds and how faith coincides and works together with deeds. And so James chapter 2 verses 14 through 26. Let's dig into it. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if people claim to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that people are justified by what they do and not by their faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead." So today we look at how faith and deeds go hand in hand. This light analogy that I've given you isn't new. It's something that I've taken from Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about how we are to be a light. And he talks about it continually with his disciples and he says, you are the light of the world. This is in Matthew chapter 5 verses 14 to 26 if you want to look it up and read more of the context of where it's coming from. But he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on a stand so that it gives light to the entire house. In the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So in, his, in Jesus' teaching to the community and to his disciples that were, that were journeying with him, um, he emphasizes this need to be a light, this need to live in the kingdom of God in such a way that your actions, your good deeds, will be a reflection of God's heart into the community. That without the deeds the light doesn't shine, doesn't serve purpose, doesn't light up the room, and things kind of go dark, so to speak, right? When it's lit, it's living into its per- its created purpose, and that's what Jesus calls his disciples to, and it's what he calls us to, to be this light in our community in the world that we live in. James 2, 17, we just read this little portion, says in the same way, so he kind of echoes It's the Sermon on the Mount and he does it continually throughout this letter. In the same way, faith by itself, he says, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. The light is off. The power is not living through that bulb. And so, the common usage of this passage that we read here uh, often is to communicate that I don't have to share the gospel because I use action in tangible ways to begin to share God's love. Which I would agree with. We're going to talk about it for a few minutes here. Um, the famous churchy quote that you've probably heard um, that people throw around uh, that relates to this is it says, Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. You may have heard that before. And it sounds good. Um, I think it sounds good. It's one of those things that just kind of it, it resonates with us because we want to see action. We want to see people live it out and not just talk talk about it. Um, but it, it might have originated, I'm not sure exactly where it came from, but Mother Teresa has a quote that's really close to it that says, spread the love of God through your life, but only use words when necessary. And I think that that comes again out of that same heartbeat of like, we want to see authentic real life tangible ways that this gospel is being lived out and not just people flapping their gums about it. But here's my pushback. Mother Teresa understood that. She understood what it meant to live out the gospel and that it had to have flesh and blood to it. It um, to, had to be lived out in tangible ways. And, but I think the intention behind what she was saying and what people say when they say preach the gospel and if necessary use words, um, is that we're just tired of empty words. And so I understand the the sentiment behind it. I understand the drive behind it. But essentially what happens there is we begin to rob the big picture of what motivates those deeds, right? And what James does here is he really points us to the power of it. He uses the illustration of someone's in need and you just say, hey, God be with you, man, and you don't do anything about those needs. It's, it's, it's the light bulb that doesn't have anything, any power going to it. It's basically saying, man, I, I really value, you know, the action. And the action is the only thing that's important. And it's like saying, like, I only value the electricity that goes to that bulb. And the electricity, man, it, it covers everything. It's the gospel. It's meant to do everything it possibly can. And it's going to cover us. And it's going to speak louder than words. But as I look at that bulb, that bulb's not doing anything until that power is met with the form, the structure, the, the actual mechanical part of this, right? You need both of them. And to argue that the electricity or the bulb is more important, that they're not exclusive. They have to be married to one another. They have to be connected. In 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul actually tells Timothy almost the contrary to what that common phrase is or that churchy phrase of preach the gospel and if necessary use words. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I love this passage. and I like it even more as you read in the New Living Translation. It paints a better picture of what he's saying here. And he says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Because there's definitely times where it's not favorable and it's not easy. And I think that's why sometimes we do- default to preach the gospel and if necessary use words. Let our actions be what speaks what our faith is all about, right? But it goes on, it says, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. So if we have good teaching, if if our faith is aligning with our actions, then then there isn't there isn't gonna be a disparity between what we say and what we do. And that those are so meshed together that then there's just a, a good reality to it. And so we have this dilemma that often comes up in in church life um, that Basically says like we have a decision to make between social justice, the social justice that work that goes on in our world, versus or contrary to biblical justice work. And I believe that when we have a a, a clear understanding of biblical justice, we can we can match our deeds with our words, right? Our faith with our deeds. We don't have to separate those out. We don't have to try and put so much emphasis on our action that we forsake the fact that we can use words, right? Um, And so what we see here is just a a recognition that physical needs have to be met. Uh, I know from going to Haiti and serving in some third world countries um, with our ongoing mission that many of you have been a part of as we serve in Haiti, um, that you can't just go and bring... Clean water, and say that that's the gospel, and that that's going to somehow solve all their problems. And and anybody who's worked in social justice around the world knows that alleviating the the root cause is more important than the initial um, life-saving process of what people need. Right? That like you have to you have to initially meet those needs that are uh, life or death kind of things. Right? Like food, shelter, clothing clean drinking water, the health, all those things need to be addressed initially, but there has to be an underlying um, foundational root work that has to happen that's ultimately going to transform a person's life in the long term. And and what we see here is James recognizing that the two have to be connected. And then when they are connected, there will be this transformation that will just that will transform lives, right? It'll bring new life. And so, when we get at the core of this passage, we begin to see that he's really echoing what he said before of what true religion looks like, what a true faith looks like, um, that it's going to have deeds tied to it. There will be fruit from that. And he says it in uh, verse 27, we got into this two weeks ago, and he says, religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That there needs to be two things at work: faith being developed in us as well as, and that's be not being polluted by the world, that's continually like learning to be part of the, God's kingdom. That's countercultural and different. But then also meeting the needs of the community, meeting the needs of those that are oppressed, that are broken, that are poor, that are that are suffering, right, that there has to be this action and so this faith and action is always tied together and so when we get at this core of this passage we see James communicate the need to ask ourselves, are my deeds fueled or are they powered or are they electrified by my faith, right, and you might say, well, my faith actually is what fuels my actions, and I could say, well, yeah, they're they're tied together. And, and I don't think it matters which one comes first. I think what matters is that we recognize that they go hand in hand. They have to be tied together. And so my argument, and what I think what James is calling us to, is just tying the faith and our deeds inextricably together. It has to be tied together. And so just to like build that analogy, Um, I have a truck that I enjoy greatly that allows me and my family to get to places um, comfortably and um, with all our gear, with sometimes our trailer that we tow. Um, My truck, I love it, I love having that thing around. It's, It's great for all our gear and everything that we do, surfing and everything. My truck requires gasoline. The gasoline that goes into the tank allows that thing to function and do what it does, right? And so, for the sake of the argument and where we're going with faith and deeds, I believe it's kind of like the fuel versus truck argument. And you might say, well, the truck's amazing but without the fuel you got nothing, right? And and the person who says, well, the fuel's more important than the truck, sure, yeah, like if you don't have the gas, that truck just sits there, it doesn't go anywhere, and unfortunately, I've ran out of gas a couple times recently. Um, it's kind of embarrassing, but my gas gauge broke, and um, and so it's been kind of weird. Like when low really is low, you know what I mean. So I've had to carry this thing around, but um, but we have to recognize that we need both. Like I don't get the joy of driving in my truck and taking my kids to school unless I have fuel in the tank. Without the fuel it's useless. And the fuel by itself is also useless that if I just have fuel and I'm like, hey this will get me there, like my faith it's gonna get me there and it's good to go, yeah that's good, you don't have a truck, you don't have any vehicle or uh, an engine to put that in to actually get you there, right? And I think that's what James is doing here with Faith and Deeds, That he's, he's just trying to recognize and help these early believers understand that it's tied together. You can't separate the two that they have to be tied. And so again, a reminder that he's writing to believers, he's not writing to people who are potentially leaning in and learning about the faith. These are people who understand the faith but maybe have forgotten that it has to be tied to our deeds, that it has to be tied to bearing fruit, to having action displayed in our lives. Which brings us to the two examples that he gives. So the first example he gives is of Abraham. And when he talks about Abraham, he, he uses a story from Abraham's life where God calls him to sacrifice his only son. And why this is so important is because God made this covenant with Abraham that he will bless many nations as a result of his family. His, but his wife, Abraham's wife, was old and they didn't have kids at that time and so for God to tell him you're going to be a blessing and not have any kids was like, Well, this is never happening, there's no fuel in the tank here. But God bless him with a son and then what God does is he says, I want you to sacrifice that son Isaac. And as you hear that and as we talk about it, we go, that's crazy. And I think that's why James is still talking about it because it's one of those things where you go, why would you ask that? Like why would God require that of him or why would he even like um, ask him to do this? But what Abraham does is he's faithful. He's faithful faithful not only in his words but in his actions. And so he takes Isaac up the hill with a pile of wood prepared to sacrifice his one and only son. And if you see a connection there to Jesus then you're leaning in the right direction there. But what we see is an obedience that led to action and then God provided another sacrifice. He provides a ram in his place. And so there's this, um, there's this connection between his faith and his deeds. And what James says is he says in verse 22, he says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So James isn't disputing faith. He's pointing to a living faith. And he uses another example, he uses Rahab, who's a prostitute. And if you want to go back and read the story, I would encourage you to look it up. But essentially, Rahab protects these spies that are helping Joshua take over Jericho, which is part of the promised land that God had given. And if you want to get into the whole story, I would encourage you to do that. What you see here is God calling somebody, Rahab, a prostitute, the least expected person to be in the story of God or to be used by God powerfully, is obedient. And I think sometimes we think that we are insignificant, the things we've done leave us insignificant, our past, uh, the labels that we have, because she has this label as a prostitute, It's not a a fact that's left out. It's actually put into Scripture. And I think it's put in there for a reason because we can probably relate that we don't feel significant, worthy enough to be used to be people who are faithful in not just our heart but in our actions and that we're not worthy enough to be used by God. But what we see here is James pointing to two people who were faithful in not only their heart and their mind, but in their actions. And it reflected who they believe in, reflected where they believe the power comes from. And so it's all about what kind of fruit are we displaying? Like what kind of deeds are we displaying connected to our faith? And uh, I, I use this analogy quite often of this apple tree, that an apple tree, I have one in my front yard that bears fruit and the intention of it is to grow apples and if after a couple years that apple tree isn't producing apples and it's just dead after uh, every season that it should be producing apples, I'm going to cut it up and I'm going to use it in my pizza oven to fire it up and make some pizzas, right? And I think we understand this analogy the same way that gas fuels our engine, the same way that this light bulb that I have here Without the electricity, it doesn't it doesn't have purpose? It doesn't have the true meaning that it has. Sure, it's a bulb. Sure, it's all there, ready to go. But without the two combined, without the electricity and the bulb, it's not gonna it's not gonna have the impact. And and that's what James is is reminding us of. That um, some might say that that you know I have faith and I have deeds and. Um, that faith is more important. It's like saying that gas is more important than the truck. You need them both. They have to both exist. And one of the things that will come up in this passage and in this discussion is a reference to Romans and what Paul says that we're justified by faith alone. And so you might be saying well yeah that's great like our deeds are important but our faith is more important. Here's Here's the clarifying nuance that happens in there. The word justified, the word is used in the initial portion of our salvation, that yes, we are justified by faith, that our salvation lies completely in Jesus, not in our deeds. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to make us more worthy of being in relationship with God. So I want to clarify that as part of this message because some will say yeah that you know we can put way too much emphasis on our deeds and some will put way too much emphasis on faith but they're ultimately tied and what what Paul is writing about is the initial process of surrender to Christ. That yes, sanctification is the second part of that which I think is what James is referring to, but there's the first part is justification, and so justification has to happen, yeah we are justified by faith, faith alone is what saves us, but then there has to be the sanctification process where we begin to learn to be like Christ, where we learn to bear fruit, where we learn to be a light as he calls us to be, a light that's on a hill that shines, that reflects. God's heart because he says we're to be a light that shines and that our good deeds are meant to be a reflection of God and who he is and point to God not to ourselves but totally to him and so just remind us in that process in that conversation that um, yes we are justified by faith but it's also a process of sanctification and so in closing I want to point us to the Shema, which is the this Old Testament prayer, this heartbeat of who God called us to be. And it goes like this, it says, Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And this has always been the call to God's people, that we're fully in love with who God is, and I believe that when we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, which Jesus echoes in the Sermon on the Mount and in his teachings as well, is that then you begin to have this life that that is filled with deeds, right, that is filled with action, that it becomes the fuel to the tank and to the engine that begins to drive the whole thing forward. And so, may we be people who love God with our heart, with our mind, with our soul, and with all of our strength that we can begin to really embody what it looks like to be the people of God, to be the Christian community, the church that, that uh, Jesus calls us to be. And, uh, and so, in further on in the Shema it says in Deuteronomy, it says uh, to teach this to our children um, to write it on our doorposts, to talk about it while we walk along the path, it says. And so it's meant to be just woven into all of our lives. Um, and that's what James is, I think, hearkening back to, is this idea of it being every part of life is saturated with our faith, so much so that it drives us to actions. And, uh, and again, remember, James is writing to believers who already understand the faith, who are already in this process of salvation, but now are working that out in a way that is tangible, that is good, that is life-giving and transforming. So action steps. I want to ask a couple of questions that I think help guide us in this conversation as we go into our life groups this week and as we wrestle with uh, what it means to live out faith and deeds connected. The first thing would be, what's something you need to say yes to? There might be something that God is challenging you, prodding you, encouraging you towards right now that you're, you've are you been hesitant to say yes to. So I would just say, what is something that you need to say yes to? Maybe it's a ministry opportunity, maybe it's a friendship that you need to help out, um, maybe it's a place that you need to be serving, uh, maybe it's part of your job that you need to step into where God's calling you to be um, faith and deeds mixed together, that your actions need to take place in some area. And to help shape that I would say is like, where does God's promise seem impossible? Abraham, Rahab, both probably were going, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to trust you. Um, I don't feel adequate, but I'm going to be obedient. And I would say in that area where you feel hesitant to say yes to God, I would say, we're with you, that we recognize that we don't always feel adequate, but what Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will fuel the areas that you need to go into. Will fuel the tank of your actions and and do amazing things. And then the last question I would say is, what part of life is God speaking into? What part of your life is God speaking into? And begin to Recognize areas where maybe you need to be praying, where you need to be more generous, where you need to visit some people, maybe you need to write some people, maybe you need to text someone, email someone. Um, what does it look like for you to say yes to the next thing that God's calling you to, uh, the next right thing, the next thing that He's He's pushing you towards, and then what's what what what's keeping you from it? What might be uh, what might you be afraid of in that process? Now, I would close with this. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And so if these things seem difficult to you, if there's an area in your life where you're like, I don't know how I'm gonna step into that and live into it, I would say, live by faith, not by sight, that that will begin to fuel those areas where we can take action in beautiful ways. It's so a grace and peace to you as you live into this. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen.